0: Hello, mamas. Laura here, and today I am sharing the live Q and A that our wonderful midwife Beth did, answering all of your burning questions. Enjoy.
1: Hey, mama, I'm sending you wonderful pregnancy vibes. It's time for you to get you through. Let's take some time for you.
0: It's pregnancy with fizzy. Hello, mummers, and welcome back to the Pregnancy with Physio Laura podcast. Today, we are kicking off with a bonus episode in our Ask the Midwife series where I share the live QA recording that our wonderful midwife Beth Ryan did recently. So, in today's episode, Beth discusses the GBS test, strategies for posterior labor, reducing the need for forceps or vacuum in birth, cervical lips, pros and cons of an ECV, expressing colostrum tips to reduce perineal tearing, advice for women who have fear around childbirth, answering whether a baby can ever be too big to be born vaginally – different induction methods, and customizing your birth plan for a C-section. There is a lot that is covered in today's episode. So Beth answered so many of your amazing questions and I'm so grateful to her for sharing her time and wisdom with us all. So I really hope you enjoy this one. You can find out more about Beth and check out her amazing Instagram account by visiting birthwithbeth. And if you missed it, make sure you go back and listen to the first six episodes in this Ask the Midwife series, where we chat about the importance of stimulating the labor hormone oxytocin and why laboring at home for as long as possible is really important, how to create a beautiful birth environment in the hospital. Navigating conversations with your birth team, language and interventions and different ways to approach respectful conversations, how to really plan the ultimate postpartum support, C-section birth preferences, managing inductions and vaginal examinations and so much more. Now, we also have so many incredible topics and speakers lined up in upcoming podcasts. So if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the Pregnancy with Laura podcast so you do not miss out. And don't forget for this Ask the Midwife series, we also have a bonus episode exclusively available to members inside the Pregnancy Posse where Beth gives us her top three essential items to pack in your hospital bag – ways in which your partner can best support you during birth, managing a posterior labor and the lowdown on epidurals. So this entire podcast series and all our other podcast series, along with any member only bonus podcast content is all live right now inside the Pregnancy Posse. So if you'd love to access all the bonus content and listen to or watch this entire series right now, rather than waiting for any future episodes to come out, please go and check out the Pregnancy Posse. I have taken my years of experience helping pregnant and postnatal women as a women's health physiotherapist and made this accessible to every wonderful woman online inside the Posse. So when you join the Pregnancy Posse, I will guide you week by week through your pregnancy with safe weekly workouts tailored to your exact week of pregnancy. I also do a weekly Q&A session where I answer all your burning questions. There is a wonderful community forum where Posse members all support each other along with an extensive resources library which will help you avoid googling every symptom that you have in pregnancy. So I would love to help you have a healthy, active, pain-free pregnancy. So just head over to thepregnancyposse.com to see what The Pregnancy Posse is all about and to trial it for seven days. Now let's get into this bonus episode in our Ask the Midwife series. Enjoy! Lovely Physio Laura community. Um, my name is
1: Beth. You've probably been hearing my voice in the latest um, mini series on Laura's wonderful podcast. So today I'm jumping on to do a bit of a QA. Laura has already put some questions out to you guys. So um, let's just jump in because these go super quick. So let me just see. You'll have to excuse my tech. No, I did look up how to do this earlier. Sorry, guys. Um, So, usually there's like a little sticker box that pops up and it grabs all of the lovely questions that you have already asked. But we'll just jump in because someone else has popped a um, a question about GBS. Okay, so I'll pop that one up. Okay, so the question is pros and cons of the GBS test. So for those who don't know, the GBS test um, is the test called Group B Streptococcus. It is a a natural occurring flora that um, lives in the vagina and um, anus of some women and others, um, you know, it doesn't live there. And as adult women um, and people, we don't know that it's there and it doesn't bother us. Um, However, in uh, the case of a vaginal birth, if the baby is exposed to it, there is a very small chance that they will become sick and become quite sick with um, GBS colonization. So some hospitals in Australia do what's called routine GBS screening, whereby they will offer women a swab at 36 weeks to test whether this um, bacteria is there. I guess from a pros and cons perspective, we have to think about the implications of the test. So if your hospital, for example, offers you routine screening and you say yes, and your um, test comes back positive, then you will also go on to be offered um, IV antibiotics in labor. And if your waters break before the onset of contractions, generally speaking, those hospitals will also um, encourage induction of labor because they want to minimize the the amount of time that your baby is exposed to this um, bacteria. For some people that is um, feasible, they're happy to take the antibiotics irrespective of the fact that The risk of infection is still quite low even if you do swab positive at 36 weeks Um, and for others you know they're kind of more risk adverse and they think I would like to eliminate as much risk with GBS as possible so the GBS conversation is a big one it's a juicy one Um, I do have a post on it if you want to go and explore my page afterwards but there's also a beautiful blog called evidence-based birth and anyone kind of exploring the pros and cons i would definitely um get you to go and have a read of that one you'll have to excuse me i'm very breathless i'm 31 weeks pregnant and it's all squishing up at this time would love some strategies for posterior labor okay so posterior labor is when the baby's spine is on mum's spine and this can cause the um, contraction pattern to be Um, a little bit irregular sometimes, and it can also cause quite a lot of um, intense um, back pain as well as contractions. So in terms of some strategies, I would say staying ambulant and upright is a really, really good strategy. Making sure that the weight of your belly is forward leaning. So we want to take as much of the pressure off your spine as possible. Um, TENS machines can also be great. Sterile water injections can be really good for posterior labor, so ask your midwife about those. And I'd also have some heat packs um, and some hands-on massage, so things like hip squeezes, sacral pressure, those sorts of things, which midwives are um, well-versed at practicing and can probably teach your partner or support person. So that would be my go-to for posterior labor. For some people, um, an epidural can also be a good option. Um, But keeping in mind, this takes away our ability to be mobile. Um, So sometimes sometimes it can help relax the pelvic floor and improve things. And in other times it can take away the mobility that was otherwise helping the baby to turn into a more favorable position. Very, very individualized. Beautiful questions are rolling in now I figured out the tech guys sorry about the start um so should you express colostrum if you have GDM so in the population of people who have gestational diabetes expressing some colostrum is highly encouraged because those babies are more likely um, to have problems stabilizing their own blood glucose level particularly if you have had Um, not great control of your sugars during pregnancy, those babies are a little bit more susceptible to having um, a drop in their blood glucose level soon after birth. And so the idea with expressing some colostrum before the birth and doing some antenatal expressing is that if that happens, we can give the colostrum or better yet, we can prevent it from happening by not only commencing feeding early, um, but giving some of that really nutrient dense, amazing colostrum that's also really high in naturally occurring glucose. So I am a big fan of antenatal expressing for all mums. I just feel like it takes the pressure off you guys. in those very early hours and days after giving birth but i also think in particular for the gdm population wonderful would definitely get onto it all right ways to reduce chance of forceps and vacuum during a birth so there is yeah so i guess we know that um the use of epidural analgesia tends to be um, more associated with the use of vacuum and forceps. Um, however, the evidence that's kind of emerging suggests that the way that epidurals are administered these days in terms of the dosage um, is suggestive that it's not, as, um, it's not going to put you as much of a risk as it used to. In saying that, anecdotally, if you talk to any midwife and most doctors they will talk to you about the fact that when you do have epidural analgesia um, for the most part your ability to push as effectively is compromised just because if your epidural is working effectively we've taken away your pain and therefore we've taken away some of your um, that pressure and urge. It's a tricky one because you know many women will have an epidural that works really effectively but they can still feel lots of pressure But I would say the number one thing for um, reducing your risk of needing an instrumental birth is probably staying upright, ambulant and trying to labor as physiologically as possible. Um, In the other thing we have to keep in mind is that sometimes it's not about what you're doing in your labor. You might be offered an instrumental birth because your baby's not coping in the final stages um, of the pushing phase. And so that's a different chat entirely. Um, and that's less about, you know, your urge and, and your sensation to push, but just a safety thing. Um, so those would be kind of where I'd go with that one. Alright, they're really rolling in now, so lots and lots of questions. Um someone has said. Is it fine that I haven't expressed colostrum I'm due tomorrow of needing any. So yes, it's not too late. Just get onto it. You can get stuff from your pharmacy, your hospital, or you can buy um, some kits um, online. Okay. Alrighty. Now, can you talk about cervical lips and whether they are something that you need to be managed and needs intervention? Alright, so the cervical lip refers to when you're ultimately 95 centimeters dilated and your care provider might do an internal examination and when we do that, we're feeling with our fingers what we can feel inside, which is usually however much cervix is remaining. Sometimes you'll feel like you're fully dilated, but just towards the side or just towards the back, there'll be like a little lip of um, tissue and your care provider might describe that as a cervical lip. Whether or not a cervical lip is a problem is so individual because for some people with the next contraction and just with their natural urge to bear down, that cervical lip will move away. Um, Usually what you might be encouraged to do is if you can, Your midwife might say, look, if the urge to push isn't overwhelming yet, let's try and breathe. Let's get you into a position that takes pressure off your cervix and just let that final bit of cervix move away. But in saying that, for some people, they really have that overwhelming urge and they shouldn't be um, sort of restricted in their ability to push because, you know, for some people, it will just move out of the way naturally. Um, So that's what a cervical lip is talking about. Now, whether or not it needs intervention, again, like... It's tricky because all circumstances are different. Um, I would probably say no. However, if someone is pushing for quite some time and that head is not coming down, then we need to question whether potentially that lip is um, occluding some of the space that baby needs to maneuver through. And um, it would be very individual, but I would say for the most part, if we just allow people to go with their urge, follow what their body's instincts are saying, then that cervical lip shouldn't be a problem. It should just move out of the way like the rest of the cervix has so far. Alrighty. righty. Pros and cons of an ECV. So an ECV is called, um, is sorry, is a um, shortened version of an external cephalic version. And this is a procedure that a doctor will offer you in some cases if you are, um, if your baby is in the breech position at around full term, so 36, 37 weeks. And basically what they do is they Um, under ultrasound surveillance, they will give you a um, muscle relaxant in many cases and try to physically maneuver baby out of the pelvis, flip them around and get them head first because we ideally we know that cephalic or head first presentation is favorable for a vaginal birth. Um, That's not to say that babies can't be born breech but for many people they would rather give it a shot to get that head down rather than going straight for a vaginal breech birth. The pros and cons, I think the pros are that, um, you know, if you are someone that is really aiming for a vaginal birth um, and you're keen to ultimately, do, you're more keen on that idea if your baby is head down, then it's a really good opportunity to try everything in your power to get yourself to that point. The cons can be that in very rare cases, the procedure itself can cause um, uh, like things like bleeding or um, a drop in your baby's heart rate due to kind of interruption to their cord or placenta. And in these rare cases, then it might result in um, an emergency cesarean section. That said, that's not that common, and that's the reason that you are monitored. I think another con is that a lot of people do find it painful. So um, it's, yeah, some people don't, and some people do. It's just one of those things. Um, But definitely have a chat to your care provider around their practice and sort of what they recommend for you. Um, beautiful. Now I'll just answer this one quickly because this is a question for physio Laura, not me. Um, so I'll just flag it with you. So indications for belly support band and so much abdo back pain. This is all in the arena of a beautiful women's health physio like Laura. So maybe touch base with her, um, and DM her or get in touch with, um, your local as well. Um, all righty. Sorry, these are rolling in so quickly. I'm just trying to keep up. Um, should, should I continue expressing colostrum if I have rusty pipes? So rusty pipes um, is just the term given to um, colostrum. That's a little bit bloodstained. Your breasts and nipples um, and um, breast tissue are super, super vascular. So it's not uncommon for there to be a little bit of um, sort of brown or red staining in the milk. Provided that you have not been told that you have a really infectious bloodborne virus um, or disease that is going to impact your ability to breastfeed, then there is no indication to stop, um, other than if it was painful or uncomfortable for you. But it's quite normal for colostrum to be a range of colors, just depending on what's happening for us at the time. Alrighty. So this one is, I've had a rough third stage. Can this be more gentle? Why would they push and pull so forcefully if there was 250 mils of blood loss? This is a really tricky one to answer. Obviously, having not been there, I can't comment on the specific circumstances. Um, a third stage for those listening is a when the placenta is um, born. Um, that is the separation and birth of your placenta is the third stage of labor. And it sounds like you were offered an active third stage because they were physically pulling on the cord, um, which is a normal part, but it should be done quite gently. So potentially they just um, started this procedure a little bit too soon, maybe, if there wasn't um, adequate um, separation yet. Um, but if anyone has questions about their care specifically, this is something I would 100% encourage you to touch base with your hospital about, or your midwife, or your private obstetrician, whoever was there, um, because debriefing and understanding the events of your birth is really, really important. All right. Any tips on how to reduce tearing? Yes. Um, So one of the things you can do before your baby is born is perineal massage, um, which I'm sure um, Laura has talked about before, but I also have a whole highlight on my page called perineum um, and I go through perineal massage kind of step by step and why we would encourage it. So go and check that out. Perineal massage. We know that birthing in a either all fours or side lying position can be associated with a reduction in um, uh, perineal trauma. So can the use of warm compressors. So this is when a midwife or doctor uses a piece of gauze that's been soaked in warm water up against the tissues um, of your perineum when you're pushing. Um, And the idea is that it helps increase blood flow and elasticity of the area. There is also some evidence to show that having a care provider have their hands on, um, so hands on the head, just gently putting counter pressure um, to kind of slow the birth of the head as they emerge can be um, associated with a reduction in perineal trauma as well. Um, And we also know that trying to avoid episiotomy and instrumental birth, because these are two quite strong risk factors for um, uh, severe perineal trauma, so severe tears. Um, but those would be my top things. So perineal massage antenatally, being ambulant and upright and getting yourself into a position that feels right, either on your side or, or fours, um, warm compress during um, the second stage of labor and um, having you know a chat with your care provider about trying to reduce the, the risk of instrumental and um, episiotomy. Now I'm just there are lots of questions also coming up in the question uh, in the feed. but Physio Laura sent me lots and lots of questions as well just about um, induction which haven't come through here, but I could see that there was lots of people asking questions about induction. So, we actually chat about this, I think, in, I've written it down, I think the latest episode of um, Physio Laura's mini series with me does go over um, induction of labor. So, have a little look at that. And there's also, again, a highlight on my page labeled induction, where I go through all of the different types of induction um, and sort of what to expect there. So, I'll just go through the comments and see if I've missed any questions. So what someone said on my growth scan at 33 weeks, baby's head is not yet fixed. So when and when, when and what should I start doing something about it? Look at 33 weeks, I would not worry at all. Um, often babies do not get into a head down fixed position until, you know, the days or weeks ahead of birth. And given that you're 33 weeks, we don't want you to have a baby just so soon. Um, so. Don't worry about it, Um, just relax, enjoy your pregnancy um, and let your baby do its thing. Um, If your baby's head was still really high, not out of the pelvis and you were beyond 40 weeks, then there might be a discussion um, around that. But to be honest, sometimes it's not until you have uterine contractions that this baby gets down deep into the pelvis, particularly if you've had a baby before. So we need to be kind of careful not to like, over worry ourselves because there's so many things that we could get worried about but really we just need to give our bodies time i hope that answer makes sense um there's so many sorry guys i hope i'm not missing your beautiful questions i'm just scrolling up no we did the cervical lip okay someone has said is there such a thing as a baby too big to birth vaginally so I guess this is so personal because what, um, one person's pelvis will allow, um, another person's might not. So it's not that there is a thing as you know too big to birth vaginally. Full stop. Um, but looking at your pelvis and the baby that you're carrying, there might be um some specific circumstances that suggest that that baby's not going to move through. In saying that, um. You know women do birth big babies and particularly if they are able to labor physiologically and move their pelvises and maneuver themselves into positions that their body is instinctively telling them to get into um the big baby kind of conversation is a really big one mind the pun um and it's nuanced and it different care providers will have different perspectives so we do know that babies over um oh I don't want to get this wrong, it's either 4 or 4.5 kilos. I think it's over 4. You know, at an increased risk of um, something called shoulder dystocia, where the shoulders don't pass through the pelvis as easily, um, as well as associated with more severe perineal trauma. But in saying that, small babies um, experience shoulder dystocia as well. Um, Small babies cause severe perineal trauma in some cases. So we have to be really, really careful not to kind of... um, tell women that, oh, this baby's way too big for you. You just can't even attempt a vaginal birth. Um, But in answer to your question, there's no real set answer, but it's more just about individual circumstances and what you're happy with and what you're comfortable with. Alrighty. I don't wanna drop you guys again. That was nice, wasn't it? Alrighty. What else have we got hiding in here? Can you guys see a question box? Cause if you put your um, questions in the question box, they pop up for me and I can see them come through, but otherwise I have to do a little um, squeeze through the comments. Would you recommend acupuncture at 39 weeks to help things along or just let my body do its things? Pain has been coming and going, but never becoming more regular. So, This sounds really normal um, and I hope you're feeling okay. It can be really hard when you're kind of ebbing and flowing in that early labor phase. Um, This again, it's totally up to you. So there is some um, sort of more anecdotal evidence, but there is some, um, evidence as well, to show that acupuncture may help move things along, um, whether that's because it it gets you into a more relaxed state, um, or whether it specifically helps you kind of open up your pelvis. I'm not sure. I'm not an acupuncturist. I'm not trained in this field. Um, but I do know that lots of people explore this as something that they want to try to kind of get their body moving. The flip side of that is that you're 39 weeks. Um, Maybe your baby's just not ready, um, and that's also okay. So it's kind of one of those things that it's only a problem if it's a problem. If you're finding it really distressing, if you're really keen for things to move along, then it might be worth exploring. But it might also be fine just to let your body do its thing. All righty. Someone has said, I'm scared that I'm not strong enough or capable enough of giving birth. Do you have any advice? So I guess my biggest piece of advice would be to interrogate why you feel that way. Is it because you um, have seen really scary depictions of birth? Um, Has there been aspects of your pregnancy that have been quite traumatic that have kind of made you doubt your confidence? Something I will say is that I've seen so many women give birth and I'm just constantly in awe of the fact that they are all strong enough and capable, whether your birth is a vaginal birth or a caesarean birth, um, whether you need the use of instruments or not, it is all birth. And, you know, I think my only advice would be to really try to trust yourself, trust that you've carried this beautiful baby to term or to whenever, um, that you've grown them, that your body has done all of that amazing work. So why wouldn't it be able to birth um, your baby and kind of close the circle? So now we've got more questions. Oh yeah, I just answered that one. Oh, any advice for twin vaginal birth? I'm 34 plus four. I'm both ahead down. Yay! How exciting! Um, double trouble. Um, so super super individual with twin births, just because the circumstances around twin pregnancies are also really unique. Um, so I guess it's about having a chat with your care provider just about what some of their concerns are, what they're really reassured by. Um, Australian Birth Stories has some beautiful um twin birth stories. There was just one actually recently um, that was a vaginal birth story. So have a listen to that um, and chat to the twin community because they are amazing and they have so many stories for you. Mm -hmm. Um, So someone said, what is the success rate of an induction for a second time mum?" I don't know the answer to that purely because each hospital and state, um, the induction success rates vary. Um, but we do know that if you are someone who has birthed vaginally before, um, so you have a history of vaginal birth, that you are more likely to have an um, a induction that results in a vaginal birth. Um, but you would I would if you were wondering the success rates have a talk to your care provider so each doctor should know um, if you're going privately what their success rate is um, as should all hospitals so worth exploring that mm-hmm Risks and tips for pregnancy and birth after classical C-sections. So um, a classical C-section for those watching um, is when the incision is made sort of vertical up the tummy rather than a lower segment caesarean section, which is more like on the bikini line, which is a little bit more typical. Um, in terms of the risks and tips, this is a question for your um, medical team because the circumstances under which your um, abdomen and your uterus heal after a classical C-section are really different to um, the lower segment caesarean section. Um, so this is something that I would definitely talk to your um, care provider about. And usually if you've had a classical C-section, you will be counselled before you leave the hospital, um, briefly albeit, but they will say to you like, you know, whether you're, you're a good candidate for future um, vaginal births or whether you need to kind of consider um, having another C-section for future um Pregnancies and birth, So have a chat um, to your doctors and team Alrighty, I can't how long to wait to try again three sections um, Yep yeah, three Okay, cool. Um, so again, that's a really specific question um, and it will come down a lot to the circumstances of your, um, your previous pregnancy, why you had those caesareans, um, what your healing was like, um, what your family situation is like, what your fertility is like. Um, so as you can see, it's not something that we can really address on Instagram, um, but the general rule of thumb is to wait um, 18... 18 months, I think, 12 to 18 months from a birth to conception um, um, window. But again, I would just say you need to get into contact with um, either a midwife who knows your case, or um, ideally a doctor who can counsel you um, about your specific circumstances. So in terms of what I can see in my little question box, they are all answered, I think. If anyone wants to add anything, please do. I'm trying to think of the ones that Laura sent me that were not included here. I'm not sure why they didn't come up, Um, but I think we did chat about induction a little bit. Oh, here we go, here's one. Pros and cons on male circumcision. So in my practice, um, I've never um, practiced where um, male circumcision is, standard and my understanding is that it does happen in Australia because obviously it's a parent's choice and and there are cultural circumstances in which it's um really common um but because there's not a lot of medical need for it so medical only indication I haven't seen it practiced routinely so usually if a family that I'm working with um, is keen to find out I say you need to go to your GP and get a referral um, to someone who does them privately and then chat through so that might not be the case for everyone in every midwife's practice but just personally what I've come across I couldn't talk you through the pros and cons I'm sorry because it's not something that I've um, been exposed to oh yeah Okay, cool. We've answered that one. Um, just trying to make sure that we haven't missed anything. Cool. Does anyone else have anything they want to throw out there? Um, more than happy to chat if I can. If... Um, if you are keen to my page has lots and lots of um really content dense um kind of posts that go over a lot of the kind of most frequently asked questions i guess that i get as a midwife so have a little scroll through and you might find some things that you like um, that might help you um answer some of your questions too what stage of labor is a posterior What stage of labor is a posterior babe likely to turn? So, um, any time um, a a baby can turn, but typically it is once the contractions have established into a strong regular pattern. So the active active stage of your first stage of labor. Um, And this is just because the force of the uterus contracting Um, regularly and rhythmically is what is likely to move your baby into an optimal position for birth. In saying that, some babies are born posterior, they come out vaginally posterior and it's just that they were in a comfy position um, that suited them. So um, it's a little bit um, unique but I'd say once your contractions have gotten into that really strong rhythmic phase. what are the different methods of induction cool really really big topic but such a good question um so again head to my page and have a look at the highlight just for some information that you can save and um, reflect back on um but there's a few things we can do so um typically the first thing that we need to do is prime the cervix so this is used um a lot with first time mums, just because the cervix is typically really closed and long and strong. Um, And so they use um, gel or a medication called Cervidil typically that goes inside the vagina sits towards the back of the uterus, um, sorry, the back of the vagina around the cervix and releases um, a hormone that softens the cervix. And then ideally it allows the cervix to open one to two centimeters. And then the next step would be to break the waters. So using um, an internal examination to physically pop the bubble of water around baby's head. Um, and then the next step would be to use an oxytocin infusion. Now, in terms of different methods um those are kind of the things that we do and some people will need all of them and some people might need just one step so you might come in um with the plan for an induction and they say oh we're going to use the gel and then when they go to put the gel in they find that you're two to three centimeters open already and they say great well we can skip the gel and we can just break your waters um and then similarly for someone else they might break the waters and within an hour the contractions are really you know strong and rhythmic and we go okay well we don't really need to use the um, oxytocin infusion so it can look like that the other thing if the gel or the um, other medication is not a good option um, or if it just suits your circumstance better um, doctors might also use mechanical ripening so things like a cook's catheter or you guys might have heard of it as a balloon catheter and so that is a tube that gets threaded through the cervix and a um, a small bubble of water is blown up on either side. And instead of the medication doing the ripening, cervical ripening, it's a funny term, um, it will push on the cervix and put pressure from either side. And then that ultimately, hopefully, achieves the same thing as the gel and we're able to break your waters. Um, any advice about how to deal with doctors during labor I'm scared of being bulldozed rather than included in the decision-making so that's a really good question and I think we have to be cautious um, just because it's not always um, you know, it could be doctors and midwives that make you feel that way. Um, but I think the biggest thing to, um, to consider is um, having a birth plan. So having a birth plan that you've had time to sit down and write ahead of time can be really great because it allows you to kind of think Think ahead about what how you want to be cared for, and then you can just give that to the doctor or midwife and say, look, these are some things that are really important to me. One of which might be that you want to be included in all decision making, and you'll probably find that most people are super, super accommodating, um, keeping in mind that you guys have a shared goal of making sure that you're kind of supported and feeling well and have a healthy baby um, at the end of it. Um, So I think just be really honest with your care providers about what you need um, and go in with the perspective that we're a team, it's not us and them, and say to them, like, I really, um, thank you for being part of this, but I'm really looking forward to working together as a team. So, are student midwives able to physically support you during labour or only observation? Um, This will depend on the hospital um, and the state. So when I was a student um, and we came in for our continuity of care, um, experiences we were expected to do the physical care and the clinical care um, I've since worked with students who unless they're on a on a placement they are not to be doing um, you know the clinical care kind of physical support stuff they're just to um, observe but if they are on a placement and they are there um, with the uni then absolutely student midwives should be very ha- very much hands-on in your care Um, and we're often working as a team with students all the time. All right, this is a great question. I'm 33 weeks and haven't been doing any pelvic floor exercises. Is this likely to have a negative impact on my labor? So it's difficult to know whether it will impact um, your labor, as, again this is such a good question for physio Laura to um, kind of tap in with um, but one of the most important things with um, your pelvic floor for labor is the ability to relax your pelvic floor so we don't necessarily just want a really strong pelvic floor we want a pelvic floor that has the ability to lengthen um, and so if you have concerns that your pelvic floor might be overactive or tight then that is a um, good thing to see a women's health physio about what I'd be more cautious about, having not done any pelvic floor exercises, is the postpartum and building up your strength afterwards. So that's just something to be, um, to be thinking about. And it's never too late to start. So, um, you know, Physio Laura has an amazing you know, wealth of knowledge that she shares through many of the free resources on this page, and she also has the Pregnancy Posse. So I would say, get going, it's never too late. Any tips on methods to rotate baby from posterior to anterior position? I'm 36 weeks pregnant and a bit worried. Um, so I would say avoid, like um, when you're on the couch at night, avoid tilting your pelvis, so slumping, which we all do. We all get on the couch and kind of slump back. Um, pop a pillow behind your back so that the weight of your tummy is forward. I would say if you haven't already, pop to Kmart and get yourself a, a yoga ball, like a big football, um, that you can sit on. Um, and sitting with both feet on the floor, have your belly facing forward and kind of leaning forward as well, just to avoid that um slumped position. The resource spinningbabies.com is amazing. So they have lots and lots of... um physical positions that you can get yourself into that will um, ideally help baby get into a better position. So ideally an anterior position, Um, but also I completely respect and understand being a bit worried, I think we all would be in the same position, um, but try to trust your body and try to allow your baby time to move into the position that's going to work best for them. Um, so long as we're kind of doing what we can to go for walks, keep the weight of the belly forward, not slump and sit back on the couch, then um, baby's going to do what you know they they want to do. Alrighty. Pros and cons of induction versus waiting to hopefully go into labour naturally. Currently whoop, I can't see the rest of that. I think it just said currently 40 weeks, no dilation, and unsure if I should book an induction or try to wait it out. Okay. Um so again, um I think episode six, yep. Yeah, episode six we talk a lot about induction and the pros and cons of both I think that um, it's all about what feels right for you Um, so we do know that sort of the reason that most hospitals have policies that suggest women have given birth by 42 weeks is because we know that the placenta doesn't necessarily function as effectively um, beyond that point In saying that a normal period of pregnancy is 37 to 42 weeks gestation. So if you're currently 40 weeks and you haven't had any dilation yet, that's okay. Um, You know, I think the average first time mum in Australia births at the average time that a first time mum will birth in Australia is 41 plus one. Um, So we kind of know it's more normal to go over than not. Um, And I know that there's so much anxiety around due dates, but we have to remember that they're an estimated due date. Um, we cannot predict when your baby will arrive. Um, So I think there are lots of pros and cons of induction, but it just depends on how you feel about it. So we know that induction is associated with like a longer hospital stay, um, higher rates of epidural, and um, generally speaking, um, lots of mums report that the Sintocin and DRIP, can cause contractions to be quite a bit more intense. Um, in saying that, a pro might be that, you know, you might be over, feeling quite over it, you might be feeling um, pretty ready to meet your baby, and you might not be comfortable with the risk of continuing the pregnancy, whether that's just because you're overdue or you're being induced for another reason. In terms of going into labour, naturally, I think a pro for most people is that they can stay at home for their early labour, That might be where they're comfortable, that's kind of what they pictured, Um, and that you are kind of avoiding intervention from the beginning, which, if that's something that's important to you, that's. Um, a big pro. But again, it's just so personal. And for some people, I, the decision to have an induction at 40 weeks or after 40 weeks will be a really positive one. And they feel like that's them taking control and they're ready. And that's the right decision for, for them. And for other people, they might think, no, I'm not ready. You know, I'm, I'm not overdue. I'm, I'm 40 weeks. I'm not 42 weeks. Um, I really want to give my body as much time as possible. Um okay, this one's great because it's um do you advise having a lactation consultant visit when you return home after hospital? So lactation consultants are ultimately um specialists in breastfeeding and, and feeding um newborns and infants. Um, And definitely if you are having trouble with breastfeeding, I think they are such an amazing investment. So if for example, you had issues with latching, you suspected there was issues with supply, you wanted someone to assess um, nipple damage, um, you were concerned that your baby wasn't gaining weight, potentially your baby um, was commenced on formula for a medical reason and you're interested in phasing it out, There's so many different scenarios in which um, a lactation consultant can add real value. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say you have to have it pre-booked because they are a service um, and a specialty that is um, designed to kind of support problems and fix problems. So if you find that your baby's gaining weight, um, your supply seems to be good, everything is on track, you might want to wait and see if you need one. But what I would recommend is having the name of a few lactation consultants that work in your area that you've had a chance to have a look at what they charge and um, maybe even reach out and and touch base about their availability so that you're not making decisions when you're feeling really fatigued, overwhelmed. Um, You've already got the names on the fridge and if you run into a bit of a speed bump, it's as easy as giving them a call um, rather than jumping on Google when you're feeling quite vulnerable. Someone has said, You have discussed the cascade of intervention from induction, but looking like medically I might need to have one. Just wondering after the increased medical intervention, is there longer term trauma for mum associated with induction? So I have discussed the cascade of intervention in a recent post, and I used induction as an example of the um, to try to illustrate the relationship between the decision to use one um, intervention and how that might impact another. Um, but, and this is a huge but, in the case of induction, if you medically need an induction, that means that the risk of um, continuing the pregnancy outweighs the risks associated with induction that risk is individual. So I can't tell you what is um, too risky for one person and and not risky enough for another because what's risky to you is really, really personal. Um, But I would say that, sorry, I'm just gonna revisit the question. Is, Is there longer term trauma? Again, so, so personal. So whether or not you um, experience trauma relating to your induction is so unique. I've looked after so many women who have had inductions for a range of re- reasons, but particularly really solid reasons like, you know, we are we know that the placenta is not functioning well enough or we know that um, the growth of your baby's possibly compromised, um, who go on to have a really positive induction experience because they feel comfortable with the reason that they're being induced. Um, they feel like they've been able to be a part of that decision-making process and they are informed. So they understand that, yes, there might be other things that happen as a result of their induction, but based on the information they have at the time, that is the best way forward for them and their baby. So I think for anyone watching who might be induced or has had an induction Please don't read that post or hear um stories about induction and think, oh, that's a one-way ticket to, to birth trauma, because that's not true. Um lots of people have birth trauma for all different reasons and on paper they may have had a really textbook birth, but actually reflecting on the way that they were spoken to or um, made to feel during that experience is what's led to the trauma, not actually the intervention itself. Um so I think I hope that kind of gives you some clarity, but it's just so personal. Um, Birth trauma is so, so individualized. There's some really good questions coming through. Um, I'm just conscious of time because I want to save this for Laura as well. And I know that if we go over an hour, it will reset. Um, So I'll have a quick look through. This one's good. Um, Okay, do you have to get induced straight away if your waters break and you're positive for strep B? So you don't have to do anything. The recommendation might be for um, a lot of hospitals is that if you have tested positive for group B strep um, and then you go on to... um, if your water's going to break before the onset of contractions, which does happen for about 8 to 10% of mums, um, then your hospital might say, look, we know that there's a higher chance that your baby will be exposed to Group B Strep and therefore a higher chance that they will become sick um, from it. And once that entry exit point, so that um, membrane around baby has been broken, um, they they will probably encourage you to limit the amount of time that that exposure pathway is there. So they might say, look, we recommend not waiting. If you test negative for Group B Strep, typically what is um, common is that they'll say, as long as everything's fine, you don't have a fever, baby's heart rate is good, go home, wait 24 hours, and if you still haven't gone into labor, come back and we'll induce you. Um, so that would kind of be the alternative. Um, so like I said, you don't have to do anything. Um, I think it's just important to have a chat to your care providers understand their reasoning and try to kind of um, see why they're concerned about the risk to baby and then take all of that information take a step back take some time if you need to and make a decision that feels right for you all right I might answer one more and then um, I will Call it, But I know that there's so many questions and I really want to answer as many as I can. So please feel free to jump over to my page. You can send me a DM and um, over the course of the next few days, I'll get back to you. If there was anything that you were dying to ask me and I've potentially just missed it in the comments. So we'll end on ways to customize Plan C section to feel in control yes this is such a beautiful topic because I think a lot of people do have a planned cesarean section or maybe it's not um, planned but they will give birth by a cesarean um, and it is harder arguably to feel like that is a situation that you can control but there is things that we c- there are things that we can do um, so again having a birth plan is really recommended just so that if you rock up on the day and you've never met your midwife handing us something that says hi we're so-and-so, we're having our first baby or our third baby today. um, And these are some things that we would love to achieve. Thanks for being part of our team. That immediately sets a tone of teamwork and we can um, endeavor to make those things happen for you if we know what you're keen for. So in episode five of the mini series, I think it is, Yes, I wrote it down. C section preferences. Physio Laura and I chat lots about this. Um, but I would say, um, you know, you can request immediate skin to skin. You can ask for, if you don't know the sex of your baby, you can say things like, I really want my partner to announce it as you drop the drape. Lots of doctors these days are doing what is called a maternal maternal assisted caesarean section, um, where they kind of allow you to scrub and they drop the drape and you'll lean forward and um, lift your baby onto you. So very care provider dependent, but worth exploring. Um, We also encourage usually immediate skin to skin. You might say, look, I'm really keen to breastfeed. I I want there to be minimal separation um, from between me and the baby. and yeah, you can also do things like music, um, ask for photos to be taken. There's just so many things we can do, but I think I speak a lot more concisely about it in the um, in the episode five, so have a little listen to that. Guys, I'm gonna leave it there. Thank you so much for joining me, and I'm sorry for dropping the phone not once but twice um, and cancelling out the hearing, that was great. But um, I really, really hope you enjoyed the um, podcast series, and it's been so special to jump over here and do a little takeover today. So thank you so much for joining me. Um and goodbye.
0: Hey mummers, Laura here. I really hope you love that QA with Beth and that it answered any of the questions that you may have had around pregnancy birth or the postpartum period so if you'd like to learn more from Beth you can find her on Instagram at birth with Beth she shares some absolutely amazing content so definitely go check her out and I would always love to hear from you over on my socials at Physiolaura and let me know whether you learn anything new from this Q&A episode and a reminder if you haven't already just subscribe to the Pregnancy with Physio Laura podcast so that you don't miss out on the incredible podcast series that we have coming up And remember, for most series of the podcast, we also record exclusive bonus content for Pregnancy Posse members only. And in the bonus member only episode for this Ask the Midwife series, Beth talks us through her top three essential items to pack in your hospital bag, ways in which your partner can best support you during birth, managing a posterior labor and the lowdown on epidurals. Now remember, inside the Pregnancy Posse, you'll also find weekly guided pregnancy exercise workouts and extensive resources library on things like birth preparation, pelvic floor exercises and managing pelvic pain, plus a wonderful community forum and weekly Q&A sessions with me. I would love to help you have a wonderful pregnancy, birth and postnatal experience. So just visit thepregnancyposse.com to see what the Pregnancy Posse is all about and to trial it for seven days. I will catch you soon for our next amazing podcast series that we have lined up but until then mamas sending you wonderful pregnancy vibes and enjoy the incredible journey that is pregnancy